0: In the week since October 7th, the world's eyes have been focused on Israel, especially Southern Israel, the part of the Holy Land hit hardest by the Hamas attacks that day and the ongoing barrages of terrorist rockets ever since. But while the world is only now becoming aware of life on Israel's border with Gaza because of the attacks and because of the ongoing war, The region is the long-time home to so many Israelis and so many fellowship projects and was the target of the worst violence carried out on that day. In the days since, because the fellowship was already on the ground in southern Israel, we have seen and heard the stories of what happened that day. And we've had the privilege of being able to help the people of the South begin to heal, thanks to our supporters who stand with Israel from all around the world. But we also want to share these stories both the stories of october 7th and the difficult days of war since as well as the stories of healing and of hope from this region of israel the people are the people who have inspired the world with their hope with their unity with their desire to go on and rebuild instead of falling into despair and this week's guest is someone who is singularly qualified to speak to life in southern israel both before october 7th on October 7th and in the days since. Adele Raymer is a blogger and an activist and an Israeli who lives on Kibbutz Nirim, near Israel's border with Gaza. A mother, a grandmother, a teacher, a Zionist, a desert dweller, a hospital clown, and so much more. And so Adele, I wanna welcome you to my podcast and thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you, it's an honor to be here.
0: Well, Adele, before we talk about October 7th and the days since, you had a very full, exciting life on Kibbutz nirim I'd love for my listeners to hear a little bit about you. You actually were born and raised in America. So if you could tell us a little bit about your life in America, why you ended up moving to Israel and how long you lived on the Kibbutz and what life there was like.
1: The pleasure. Mm. I was born in the Bronx and raised and was part of a, a Zionist youth movement Young Judea and when i finished high school i went on the Young Judea year course which brought us to israel and uh i fell in love with the country but at the end of the year course in august july august 1973 my parents expected me to come home to do the university thing and you know do what every good low jewish People do. <laughs> um, so I did. And, I, and But while I was waiting to be accepted into the college and stream of my choice, in 1973, the October war broke out. And so I wasn't in college yet. And I said, well, what am I doing in, in America? Israel needs me. And that's when I took the decision to make Aliyah. Uh, I made Aliyah finally to Kibbutz Keturah, which was founded by Young Judean. It had just been transferred from the army to a civilian kibbutz. And uh, so that's where I made Aliyah. I, I, it was still the Yom Kippur War was sort of, you know, petering out. And I was 19, so I was given my draft papers. I went into the army and... While I was in the middle of my army service, I realized that Ketua wasn't the place that I wanted to stay. And uh, that's how I got to Kibbutz where I am today on the border. We're two kilometers, just under two kilometers uh, from the border with the Gaza Strip. And that was in November 1975. So mm-hmm. that's how long I've been living there. Um, it was not a war zone when I went to live there. We used to Get in a car on a Saturday and drive over to, to to the shuk in Gaza to the open air market, and go to the beach. And Gazans used to come in and and work in in our kibbutz. In fact, a Gazan built my house. And uh, one day I was asking that this was already in in nineteen ninety. It was in nineteen ninety six. Wow. Um, so I asked him, it it must be hard for you to get here to, 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 you know, you have to go through the security and, and get up really early in order to get here. And he said, yeah, but I can earn an honest living. I could put food on my table and, and get education for my children. So, so it was worth it. And, and we called the area 95% heaven because it really was 95% of the time, if not more. Um, Heaven on Earth. It was beautiful and quiet and green. It's a desert, but it's green and beautiful and 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 community. We have a very, very special community here i w- I was in Jerusalem yesterday visiting my cousin, and I'm driving home with the cab driver and talking him uh, to him about October seventh and life on the border. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. You go to the states. who can you talk to about it? So all in all, this is my place. This is unfortunately not a lot, but I, I do believe that eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, but it has to be securely rather than insecurely. I'll be back in my home in my own chair. You know, I was at my cousin's house, as I said, in Jerusalem, and I I had this longing just to be in a normal house with with a kitchen, with 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 a, a, a chair that, you know. I'm,
0: I'm going to clarify church. here that you're a refugee right now. That yeah. that I don't think we, right now, um, Adele is a refugee for everyone listening. That the, um, the kibbutz that she lived on, her home of over 30 years, of over 40 years, uh, she's been evacuated from because it's the town where terrorists infiltrated, where they killed people, where they kidnapped people, where they burned down homes. And so it's not safe for them to be there. So for the past two and a half months, Adele, along with over 150,000 others in Israel, have been living as refugees. And so Adele, it, it, it makes perfect sense that what you're longing for is home, but not just home, a secure home that you don't need to worry about terrorists infiltrating like they did on October 7th. I want to I w- I go back to something that you said. You're living there in a peaceful neighborhood, in a town that um, is longing for peace with the Palestinians, is longing to see uh, uh, a reality where it's just the simple citizens of Gaza who are being held hostage by Hamas, just like Israel is, and... Uh, for years even though you didn't have a physical infiltration you had lots of rocket attacks and so uh when you mentioned that life there on the border was 95% heaven and 5% difficult paint for us a picture of what that 5% difficult looked like how long did you have to run to your shelter how often did you have rocket attacks what was going on in your mind when what you were out and just taking care of your garden or drinking coffee. Was the terror situation, the security situation, always there
1: front of mind for you? And what did that look like? So where we live, we have between zero to 10 seconds But to, from the second you hear that alarm, the the voice saying seva red alert until the second you hear the explosion. And we don't always get warning even because Mortars don't always trigger the the warning, so sometimes you just you hear an explosion and you know you got to get to someplace safe. Um, I never say that we get used to it; we learn to deal with it. We learn how to handle ourselves. Rocket fire is not anything that anybody can or should ever get used to. Yes. Um, when my children were growing up, we didn't have that threat. Uh, there was. There were always people that, that feared infiltration, but, you know, that could also happen any place in the country It yeah. could happen in Judea and Samaria could happen in Tel Aviv. It could happen in. I mean, terror, infiltration and terror has happened all over the all over the country at some point or another. Um, but I felt very secure because. We have, we have the fence around our, our community and we have the army in the area and, and all eyes are on the border. We have a new fence that was just built in, since 2014. It was finished, I think about two years ago, an underground barrier that uh, cut off the tunnel threat, which before that was a very severe threat of infiltration through these tunnels in fact my daughter who's now 41 was so traumatized when she was a child on Rim by a there was she was about eight or nine years old and it was Passover and we we're having Passover on the kibbutz and her grandfather was walking around with his gun because there it, there was an alert of possible infiltration and since then she was scared of infiltration. She was sure that a terrorist was going to pop up in a tunnel outside her window and and, and and abduct her. And she even she was so traumatized that when she studied a, a script writing one year, she made a short movie about her fear, about her worst nightmare. And it came true inconceivably it came true i i always told her it can't happen we especially with the underground barrier i mean she's now married she lives on the kibbutz Oh, she lives on the kibbutz she lives on nirim if you told me one of my four kids would come back and live on nirim i would have said okay but not her yeah but she did because she fell in love with a another son of nirim and they built their house there and they have three children
0: so as a mother, from the time your child was young, you've assured her we're safe, we're protected, nothing can happen. And she ended up moving back to Nireem, raising her own children there. And you had rocket attacks that you would find shelter from. That was just a part of life that you never got used to, but that you learned how to deal with. And then came October 7th.
1: But Tell but me about before, that day. Yeah. So before October 7th, In uh, we did not have a safe room is a a concrete reinforced room that is part of your house, because in zero to 10 seconds, you do not have time to go outside of your house and run to a a bomb shelter. Those were fine for the 73 war and the 56 Skynet campaign. But they're no good if you've got zero to 10 seconds. Right. Anyway, in the 2008, nine war we did not have uh, a safe room we had no place safe to be until at, at that period so we just had to find a safe area the safest place in your house with no external walls or windows kibbutz houses are very small so i had a very small corridor that 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 fit the fit the criteria and that's where we would run to and just hope nothing fell on the roof because nothing would have helped us then. After 2008-9 escalation, the government of Israel invested billions of dollars to build safe rooms, concrete reinforced safe rooms on every house within four kilometers of the border. And then it was widened out to seven kilometers. So we have a safe room and that's where we run to. So on October 7th, That evening, before I went to bed, I told my son, if you don't see me in the morning, it's because I'm going to go out to take pictures of a wild, uh, a field of wild flowers in in the fields before the sun rises. Yeah. So thankfully, I did not do that because I would not be sitting here today to do if if I had. Um, People who were where I intended to go were murdered that morning. So on October 7th, 6.30 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, I was too tired to get up out of my bed and do that. Thank God. I'll do it another day. They'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. So I at 6.30, we started getting the incoming rocket warnings. And I jumped out of my bed, ran to the safe room where, where my son was sleeping. The safe room has a, sp- a special iron heavy iron sleeve, which you're supposed to close in times of threat and, and a sp- iron door that you pull closed and click. Um, the the barrage was so intense that I was when I, I ran into the safe room, but I was scared to stand up to close the window because the windows to prevent shrapnel from coming in, which, which can kill you. So we we waited a bit until it sort of calmed down, but it was just, it was so heavy. And we were on a WhatsApp group. I was on a WhatsApp group with with other English teachers. I'm a retired, recently retired English teacher. And we're saying, this is crazy. What, what, it's such a heavy barrage and it was from the north of Tel Aviv till south below us. And what's going on? And, and a, fr- a friend of mine who I know takes sunrise walks in the fields, sent, she didn't write, she sent a picture of of the sky and I didn't really understand what that was about. But, you know, we were in survival mode. I didn't bother going into it too deeply. And eventually after a, a few minutes, after about five, 10 minutes, it calmed down. I was able to close the window and we got notification that we should go out of the safe room lock our doors and windows, and then return to the safe room and lock it and not leave.
0: So you knew by that point that there was an infiltration on top of the huge rocket barrage. We
1: knew that this, we realized in retrospect that this huge barrage was cover Mm -hmm. camouflage for the main event that was happening over on the border. Wow. Wow. So so I went out and I closed the the windows and 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 the doors and and it's funny because I didn't remember that I had done this but when I was preparing for an interview I looked back I have a Facebook group called Life on the Border with Gaza things people may not know but should nice. um and I I was doing live vid, live Facebook lives already wow and at that point I went out I was doing a Facebook live and and you can still see it there and I'm saying I don't really think this is necessary because I'm sure, you know, nobody's going to infiltrate the kibbutz, but I'll do it anyway. And I'm walking around and locking the doors and the windows and then I go back into the, the safe room. But you can't lock a safe room. Right. The right. safe room is built to keep you safe from rockets.
0: Right, not from infiltrators. Yeah, and they're the, made that if a rocket hits, that someone could specifically open it from the
1: outside and come rescue. Absolutely. You. And it's it has a lock that you click right in order to um protect you in case the house is hit someplace and the there's an implosion that it doesn't blow the door open. But right. anybody, as you said, from the outside has to be able to open it so that they can take come in and take cover as well. People realize that very quickly that you can't. Lock the safe room. The only way to keep it locked is by pulling down the handle. Right. So that was my son's job. We He was holding door.
0: it, and so if anyone tried to open it, he would be holding it closed.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, you're strong enough to keep or it. More strong than the terrorist that would be than fighting the, with terrorist on the mm-hmm. other side. Wow. So we started getting frantic messages of people in our kibbutz. We have a like a special messaging system that's internal to the kibbutz. We're about 450 people on my kibbutz, so I know everybody, and I yeah. know where everybody lives. So I'm following the progression as this is developing through the messages on the WhatsApp group because we weren't getting any official notifications because nobody knew anything. Nobody understood what was going on. Wow. And and I'm following these messages, and I'm seeing this person saying, "We hear shooting outside." So we we know what it sounds like when a rocket explodes. That's right. that's a sound we we know how to identify. But all of a sudden, we're seeing other sounds that I'd never heard in ring of 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 automatic gunfire, of grenades exploding, of RPGs exploding, and people are writing. There's They're shooting near our house. We can hear people shouting in Arabic. And I'm following the progression as it's happening and and reading what people are saying. They're they're entering our house. There are terrorists in our house. We can hear them. They're trying to force the door open. They're setting our house on fire. The terrorists took gas balloons from outside the house, detached them, put them in the house, turned on the gas, and lit a match. Wow. So they exploded inside our houses. There's a family there on the other side of the kibbutz who are saying, our house is on fire, and we know that they have a 10-day-old baby with them in the safe room. And the ter- when the terrorists tried to open their, their safe room door at first, they managed to dislodge it just enough to have a crack where, where the smoke at this point was flooding into the safe room and choking them and this 10-day-old month ten day old baby. So that's a whole story in the, in itself. They've given many interviews. I just saw them interviewed again this morning on Israel TV. Thank God they're okay. But my point is we're following live the horrors of what are happening the army the, so we have a first a group of first responders only four of them were out and active on that day against tens of highly armed trained terrorists we figured there were between 50 and 60 terrorists that had infiltrated our community and and that's like it's hard to tell they they Afterwards, through the cameras, they they, like counted people. Um, So the first responders were out there doing what they could, but there wasn't all that much they could do against tens of terrorists. My son-in-law is a first responder, so he had a gun with him. My three grandchildren, aged two, six, and eight, were with my son-in-law in his house. So when he heard the terrorists entering his house, he told the girls lie under the blanket. Don't make a noise. You're going to hear a loud noise, but do not run after me. These girls never (laughs) listen. They listened. He stepped outside his safe room and shot a terrorist just in front of the safe room. He killed him. He ran after two others that were in the house. But when he got to the threshold, he realized that there were multiple armed terrorists outside and he didn't stand the chance. He went back to protect his my grandchildren in the safe room. He went in. He closed the door. He didn't hold the handle. He just kneeled on the on the ground, cocked his gun. And and stayed that way for hours, he said, anybody who comes through that room is getting a bullet. Wow. Wow. Around the same time, my son, who understands a little bit Arabic, we at this point already heard the shooting by us. We heard the Arabic voices by us. And my son said, they're saying, come away from there, or something like that in Arabic. And we didn't understand what that was about, but he was sitting there holding the the handle. And I'm sitting there just trying to follow what's going on, on, on the WhatsApp groups, the TV was off. Usually the TV is on when there's an escalation so I can keep track of what's going on, but that was already too much information overload. And we were in survival mode. We were just trying to, to survive ourselves. We had enough information going on by us. I didn't need to know what was going around in any other place in the country except for Nirim. So my son and I are sitting there and You know, we look at each other, we hear the Arabic voices and my son heard these sounds. I'm hearing impaired, which means that there's stuff that I don't hear, which is even more scary because your senses are there to protect you. Right. So if you don't hear danger, that, that that's a very scary feeling in itself. But, you know, we look at each other and tell each other that I love you. And basically. I did not think that i was going to see, see another sunrise that i was going to be able to go out and take another picture of flowers at sunrise i truly did not i was sure this was the end after a while things sort of we stopped hearing the voices about an hour later and i was in physical pain because i hadn't gone to the bathroom so i opened the door of the safe room to go to the bathroom and i saw the slats on my window had been busted so what we heard earlier with the Arabic voices were terrorists that had my, and my son says he heard a sound that he didn't recognize. That was them starting to break into the window. Wow. And for some reason, they got called away Wow! Divine intervention or dumb luck or. Or my late husband watching over us, I, I don't you know, I can't say what it was.
0: So how many people from your kibbutz that day ended up being killed or kidnapped?
1: So on Nirim, five people were slaughtered. Um, Two of them were visitors. Three of them were people I've known since since I came or since they were born, whichever happened later. Um, Five people were taken hostage. Again, uh, one of those five was a visitor. She's since been released. And two of the other hostages were released because they're women. We have two hostages still there in Gaza. And the story that I told you at the beginning about my friend who was out walking in the fields. Yeah. About an hour after this started, I tried contacting her because all of a sudden I remember Judy's walking with her husband, Gadi, in the fields. I wonder if they got home okay. And I tried to message her and there was no response. And we're talking in the WhatsApp group. Has anybody heard from Judy? No response. Somebody suggested call Gadi. And I tried to call Gadi. No response. And a few days later, I was talking to her children, because by then we realized that they they were abducted. And what her children knew was that at five after seven, their mother called the ambulance driver on Niroz to say that her husband had been shot and was in bad shape and she had been shot in the hand and to, to bring the ambulance over. But by then, the ambulance had been destroyed by the terrorists. So they asked me to check and see when she sent the picture in the WhatsApp group. And I went back and I realized it wasn't a picture. It was a, vi- a video. So there's a video that she took of the sky. You can hear the red alert in the background. You can hear the the the. the machine gun shots and you hear them whispering to each other what's that what's going on what's happening and they're lying like they lie down they lay down in the fields and we're hiding by this time so until this day no one has seen them we've got no word their family know nothing 72 days we don't know if they're alive, if they're dead, if they've been taken care of. The Red Cross have been totally useless, aside from acting as taxi drivers during the, the hostage return. And we're just devastated. You know, every time I open up, every time I turn on the TV, I see people I know or parents of people I know or children of people I know. I. The TV is, is p- full of people from my our communities in a school. We're a small community, right? And we don't know what's happening with them, or or they've been slaughtered. It's it, it's heartbreaking to open to turn on the TV.
0: And I and- think for everyone in Israel, this has been personal to a different extent. And for you, Adele, and for your family, who thank God miraculously survived. It's personal in a different way. It's people that you know, people that you love, your community. And it's something that you never thought would happen, that in an instant, the entire reality changed, that you went from being a comfortable person with a passionate life of helping others, you do medical clowning and you help others in so many ways to suddenly being a refugee yourself with loved ones, friends, and family members who will have to rebuild their lives in a way we don't even know how. And so... I want to tell you that as you and the people of your community, it's done for so many others that the fellowship is here with you, with the people of Nirim, with the people of Southern Israel, with people of Israel. And I think the most important message right now to know is that You're not alone, is that there are millions of people around the world, both Christians and Jews, who stand with you, who stand with the people of Nirim, who stand with Israel. And in face of the rise of anti Semitism, there is a voice in a way now louder than ever saying, We stand with the people of Israel. And so we just thank you for sharing everything with the world your story, your thoughts, your wisdom, and taking the time to speak with me today.
1: And I need you to know. That, that helps us stay strong, that is truly significant. The the hug that we got first of all from from the, the hotel here, the King Solomon Hotel, that, that that till this day see to all of our needs. The people in a lot who got together and 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 had a whole hall full of clothing and things for us because we escaped and and Many people escape just with the, the shirts on their back, and the people of Israel, and Am Yisrael, and this is what gives us strength. We have received an amazing hug from so many, and and I need I need to thank you and your audience for perpetuating this hug and for letting us know that you have our backs.
0: Thank you so much, Adele. We're with you for the long run and we're thinking about you, praying for you and believing that life will somehow move on. Thank you so much, Adele. God bless you.
1: Thank you. God bless you too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.